Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of agile marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance, so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Jim Yule of the Agile Marketing Alliance, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. Today, we're excited to be speaking with Yuval Yaret, a Lean Agility and Flow Coach, Safe Fellow, and professional scrum trainer. You've all also contributed to IC Agile's Agility in Marketing Certification. You've all will be sharing his wisdom with us today and talking about the importance of shared goals like OKRs, the difference between OKRs and KPIs and why you need both, and how Agile can help teams adapt to change. You've all, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Jim. I'm excited to be here. Nice well, let's get you started. You've all of late, it seems like OKRs are the new silver bullet. Uh, all the VCs and the private equity firms and investors in general, they give John Doerr's Measure What Matters book to their CEOs, and they strongly suggest that all their portfolio companies use OKRs. Now, you've been doing some work with these companies and helping them use OKRs effectively. How do things go wrong with OKRs? And How can organizations avoid some of the problems that they might encounter with OKRs? I have uh, tons of uh, gratitude for John Doors and his work here, similar to the gratitude I have for uh, all of the people that, you know, convinced teams that I work with to go and do Agile. And we'll we'll talk about some similarities between what's um, going on, but Generally, what I what I see happening is that from a market perspective, um, too many people are doing OKRs these days. Uh, OKRs have been deployed by people without enough expertise. They very quickly get to the point that, you know, they read the book. They say, okay, let's just map everything that we're doing to OKRs. Um, and, and we'll be done and, you know, we'll be compliant with what the VC overlords or P overlords are asking us uh, to do and we'll achieve strategic alignment. And what you start to see um, when they do that is everything is in OKR. Um, all of the tasks, all of the projects, they didn't do any filtering. They, you know, all of their KPIs are now OKRs. You start to see OKRs that are tasks rather than, you know, providing strategic guidance to, to teams. Uh, teams feel like they're continued, um, they're continuously micromanaged and sometimes the introduction of OKRs actually increase the level of micromanagement for teams and individuals rather than, you know, empower and enable them like the intent of uh, OKRs. People set too many OKRs. They say everything is important. This is what I want to achieve. But there's no consideration for realism or capacity or, or what's actually uh, achievable. Uh, another scenario which uh, which you see is, you know, we set those OKRs just to say we have OKRs, but then we go back to the way we're currently doing things and we forget about them until it's time to grade them. In some organizations, they don't even bother to to seriously think about how they did on the OKRs, and that's even more dysfunctional. 
So uh, you're, no, you're kind no, of saying that OKRs are a little bit like priorities in the sense that fewer is better and, and you really have to put some thought into what your priorities are and in a similar fashion, you have to, to really put thought into what your OKRs are. That's one thing you should be doing, right? Yeah. Uh, if you look at what I actually recommend companies do and what I typically do when you know, um, a CEO or a chief of staff pulls me in and says, uh, listen, we tried OKRs, it didn't work, right? Uh, let, let's go uh, fix it. He's starting with an understanding of what OKRs are about. OKRs are about aligning around your strategic um, priorities, like you said. It's not about managing ongoing operations. You shouldn't use OKRs for everything. You should use OKRs for product capabilities and organizational capabilities, you want to focus on improving. And you, you need to choose. You need to think about where do I want to focus? For example, um, let's talk marketing revenue because we're talking on the Agile Marketing Podcast. You don't need to use OKRs to manage the ongoing funnel, to manage ongoing marketing campaigns and revenue work. But if, for example, you're planning... Uh, to switch to a PLG motion from a direct um, sales force, that's quite a change. That's building an organizational capability that's cross-functional. It's going to uh, have dramatic effect. There's a lot of complexity and uncertainty around how to actually do that. So we need to align multiple groups in the organization around this transformation. This is where OKRs can come in handy. Um, another example is if we have a retention leak, a lot of churn, we might set an OKR around, a, you know, let, let's improve retention. We want to move from telling people what to do to aligning them around what outcomes are important and why is it important, providing context. And moving to a situation where now people start to figure out the details. And, you know, we're talking in, on the Agile Marketing Podcast. That might sound familiar because it's at the heart of what we're saying with Agile Marketing. Um, you know, we, we talked about user stories, marketing stories. When we train uh, marketers on it, one of, the, one of the key things we're saying is let's distinguish between the what, what's important to achieve. Let's trust marketers to figure out the how the details and the, of the what and the how, and, and let them inspect and adapt along the way. That's the intent of OKRs as well. So does this kind of get into some of the differences between OKRs and KPIs? That KPIs are more for, you know, the ongoing, as you say, the, the funnel and the, I'll call it the business as usual stuff that you have to do, right? That's important to, to track versus the, the new stuff that you're doing, like if you're moving to product-led growth or things like that, is is that the difference between OKRs and KPIs? Yeah, yeah, that, that that's the difference so between run and grow, right? right? Grow, change, improve. That's where OKRs come in. Now, there's a relationship. So OKRs typically have an impact on KPIs. And by managing the business as usual, you might notice a gap in a KPI. For example, that churn issue that we looked at earlier, might, that might show up as our, you know, churn KPIs are uh, very low 
or very high in the case of uh, churn, we have low retention. Beyond the ongoing management, we might say, you know what, we need to do something about this. We need to have a different approach to customer success. We need to, you know, go and implement uh, something that will enable us to get some insights around what's going on. We want to drive different processes. That would be, you know, an objective. And we would have key results that kind of reflect what, um, what outcomes more concretely we want to focus on and what would be the effect on our uh, on our KPIs. And the interplay between these OKRs and KPIs is what's drive us to becoming a more and more evidence or data-based uh, organization. But it's crucial to understand the difference between them. Okay, so what makes a good OKR? I mean, when you go to these CEOs and they say we failed with OKRs, how do you help them identify good OKRs? OKRs that are really going to help them. Yeah. A good OKR would focus on outcome, would be agreed upon in conversation with the people that are going to own achieving it. We call, you know, pool mode versus push. Right. So it's people, a conversation people where people support what they help create. You know, yes. they have to be involved yes. in the creation. Yeah, it will be more realistic. It will be more down to earth if people are involved. OKRs are typically cross-functional. So, you know, some OKRs, you would only need one function in the organization in order to achieve. But for example, that churn example, mm-hmm. we would probably need some involvement from customer success, maybe from the product side, maybe from marketing, uh, air cover, maybe the sales organization as well shouldn't sell to the wrong people. Uh, So there might be a lot of things in play and the OKR should be cross-functional, should be rallying people to think more uh, strategically. An OKR shouldn't... um, There are questions around how to actually scale OKRs in the organization. So an OKR shouldn't necessarily be just a, you know, um, copy paste or a cut of the OKR of the next level. It should be inspired by OKRs, um, you know, in the organizational level. Um, And OKRs should be limited. Like you said, there should be a smaller set of OKRs that focus on the capabilities we really want to develop. We shouldn't use OKRs to manage the day-to-day because then we'll lose the the noise for the, the signal for the noise. I want to go back to something you just said, though. You said that the OKRs between different levels shouldn't be just copy and paste, right? So that if at the highest level, let's say that there is a OKR around, you know, retention, that that's, mm-hmm. you know, a super important um, thing that they're trying to do. How does that get translated down into lower levels and, and how does it look different? So let's talk about how it should not be translated. So if if part of the retention is to figure out what behavior is indicative of a churning customer that can be useful for us to to actually improve um, 
retention over time. Okay. We might ask our product team or our data team, RevOps team, what, wherever that's placed in the organization customer success, um, to have a way to, to know what's distinguishing customers who are about to churn. This is good context for an OKR for that team. But then that team should figure out what's their OKR. The team should say, okay, we understand that the organizational context is we have a churn issue. We understand that we were running blind. We don't know, you know what's driving that churn. Um, and the first step of doing something is we want to have some insights. With that in mind, this team now comes up with you know, the, what's the objective and what are the specific key results around getting that transparency to, to what's going on? We shouldn't expect senior leadership to tell this team exactly what to do. We have this term called negotiability in, you know, agile user stories, and it's the same concept here. We don't want the top level leaders talking about churn to dictate to the team what the solution should be. They should talk in problems and context. We trust that the customer success team or whoever is the cross-functional team that would work on this issue, they would come up with a more a more specific objective in the space of gaining that transparency. That's the difference between you know, connecting what, what, what we call in the OKR space, we call it cascading, expecting that, you know, this OKR would be just copy-paste from the top level, then providing context. It's the same, by the way, in the military. When you do a mission brief, the colonel provides a mission for the um, regiment or division, let's say, but that mission brief doesn't tell you know, each one of the companies exactly what they need to be doing. They provide them with high level what, we're, what we want to do and what we want your company to achieve. But then, the, you know, the captain in charge of the, the company or colonel, whatever, is the one that comes up with the mission brief for their level. And then, you know, it's similarly separate um, in each different level. Okay, I, I appreciate the military analogy, but let's go back a little bit to uh, another one that might be more relevant to our listeners. So if the senior leadership is focused on churn and the mm -hmm. leading indicators, uh, you know, one of the leading indicators after investigation of churn is that somebody is calling the customer service line repeatedly and giving very low ratings to their experience with the customer service team, mm -hmm. then the customer service team might set an OKR to improve those experiences. Is that what we're talking about? That could be one way to look at it. Yes. We want to set up an environment where people have this information and for the customer service team to realize, oh, well, with this context, this is an improvement that I want to make. We okay. wouldn't necessarily expect senior leadership to tell the customer 
service team exactly what their objectives should be. Okay. Okay. So you've said, I, I've heard you say that revenue, improving revenue shouldn't be an, an OKR, not that general. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people, when they set OKRs, they set revenue goals. I don't have a problem with setting revenue goals, but they should be more specific in order to be actionable. When you tell me improving revenue, are you helping me in any way? Uh, it's more helpful when you say uh, improve revenue in which segment? What, what, what are we, what's the, the more granular context here? Maybe improve revenue for these types of businesses or uh, this market. So, you know, on one hand, we want the OKR to not be too specific. On the other end, we don't want it to be too broad because it's not helpful. Right. Take over the world is not very helpful. <laughs> right. Okay. You've also talked about the cross-functional, that many, the success in, in achieving many OKRs require work from the product team, the marketing team, the customer service team. How do those teams collaborate in achieving OKRs? Do they need to to work together or do they each just establish their own OKRs and work on those and it just magically happens that it works well together or how does that work? Yeah, the thing about magic is that it doesn't really exist, right? Um, <laughs> not, not for what, real, what, no. Yeah, so, so what I've seen work much better is when organizations set cross-functional OKRs. Or they set OKRs that align to the business impact that they want to generate, and then they then they talk about okay, who would need to be involved in achieving this OKR? Let's say we are going to run an initiative or a project or some tiger team teamwork, whatever, to achieve this OKR. Who should be involved? And then the OKR is shared across this group. Now that you know, brings open the conversation around what uh, effective ways of working do we know that these teams can leverage to achieve those OKRs. And this is where OKRs start to really meet business agility. Because that's the point at which we're saying, you know what? The, you know, some OKRs require agile software development or agile product development because it's just a product capability. Some OKRs, they're really just something that the marketing team would need to uh, to do. Maybe it's branding. You know, we're, we're fine. We just marketing and agile marketing is fine. But more and more, what we see is that if we take that perspective of starting from what's the business outcome that we want to achieve, the real way of working that we would need to um, to use is agility across multiple functions. So... Agile marketing is not enough. Agile product development is not enough. Agile customer success is not enough. We need to have business agility teams that have all of the relevant people on them to develop this new capability. Now, another thing that this also uh, interestingly uh, raises is the difference between operational work and development work. And again, we need to remember OKRs are just for developmental work. 
It's not that we're saying, for example, marketing and sales need to work together hand in hand all day long on everything, or marketing and product need to work on everything. But what they might need to work together on more closely is capability building, is things like we want to do something different about churn. We want to adopt a PLG you know, motion. We want to move from on-prem to software as a service and everything that that entails. We want to drive some sort of business transformation. In that case, we would probably have a cross-functional OKR or an OKR that would require cross-functionality. And we ideally should have cross-functional teams that iterate towards achieving that OKR. So this implies that this has organizational implications as well, that you would have cross-functional teams that are working on the, the OKRs about certain growth uh, initiatives, and then you would have other teams, your normal teams, not cross-functional teams, that are you know, making sure that the lights are on and the, the revenue continues to come in, that the KPIs are met and so forth. Is that, is that how it generally goes? There's an organizational, this, um, there is an organizational design decision to be made here, but it's not necessarily separating the teams. It could be creating some virtual layer of the development work that happens in parallel to operational work. Uh, it could be separate teams. That's something to discuss. What I see in a lot of organizations is they don't really touch the organizational structure, but they come up with a, a network of teams that overlays that. For example, um, you could see a team, or, or I've seen a team of marketers, IT people, uh, clinicians, um, finance people, operations people, all coming together beyond their day jobs to change how they were working as the um, orthopedics uh, network up in Maine. They, you know, the finance uh, person, the controller still reported in the organization the same way they did before. There was still a CMO and all of the marketers were reporting to uh, the CMO. There was still a chief medical officer and all of the Clinician, uh, clinicians uh, reported uh, through them, but we created different patterns of collaboration across those groups focused just on the development work. I think one of the struggles I see a lot in organizations when they start to talk about business agility and applying agile is they try to apply to everything. They try to apply to operational work as well. If we take an extreme example, let, let's look at sales uh, adjusting to marketing. If you try to apply Agile to the ongoing, you know, uh, Salesforce uh, activities, it makes very little sense. I mean, there's some value in Kanban that could help, you know, uh, even salespeople that are trying to meet their quota, but a lot of the stuff. Um, that's designed for doing uh, complex work as a team falls flat in that environment. But once you start to work on sales enablement and what kind of sales uh, motions do we want to experiment with and interaction with marketers around that, it becomes much more relevant for these people. Yeah, I get this thing where the 
the cross-functional nature is, is focused on these new initiatives and, and um, you know, the things that are tied to these cross-functional OKRs. But the one thing that you said, I, I want to challenge a little bit, and that is that people do their day jobs and then are expected to do, you know, this, this new, whether it be sales ena- enablement or some new initiative, to do that, quote, in their spare time. I, my experience, that's a recipe for disaster because people don't have a lot of spare time. I mean, people, if they're not focused, they don't make the uh, the gains that they might otherwise if they were set aside and somebody else was doing the day-to-day stuff and they had a chance to really focus on this this new initiative. What are your thoughts on that? It's a tough trade-off, right? On the one hand, you do want the expertise and buying of the people that are doing the operational work in the trenches when doing when developing new capabilities or improving how you do things. On the other hand, uh, you know th- they can't really focus. You're introducing multitasking and context switching by design. It's it's a trade-off between these two things. And, you know, it's a complex problem that we need to inspect and adapt. How, how do we do this? Um, I, I totally agree with you. There's an impact. So every time we took, uh, you know, a finance uh, controller into a team, that has impact both on her capacity in the Agile team and the capacity would be lower than somebody dedicated to this. And also the day-to-day job, you know, she would uh, need to figure out what's realistic to expect, what can she, you know, offload to others, how can we actually do this in a way that is sustainable. What, what we're doing with the OKRs, and, you know, we didn't uh, explicitly talk through this, but with the agile processes that might be used to achieve those OKRs, is we're making this transparent. We're making all of the work in process transparent for people, whether it's the improvement development work and the operational work. We're making it transparent to leadership that the fact that we're setting these OKRs needs to be balanced with running the business and keeping the lights on using our KPIs. And, you know, we should drive a conversation around how are we doing this? Is this amount of OKRs, for example, something that our organization can accomplish, considering that we're expecting the same people to both uh, keep the business running and meet our promises um, using KPIs as well as do these OKRs? Um, maybe we can only do fewer OKRs over time. And the more important thing is we're inspecting and adapting around our ability to meet our day-to-day commitments as well as the OKRs on an ongoing basis. I I don't have a perfect answer around how your organization can use OKRs to really develop itself. The answer that I have is you need to create an environment where you're using OKRs and other agility patterns to improve your ability to improve. So... The answer is going to be different for every organization. And like a lot of 
agile practices, there isn't just a one size fits all blind appliance of the agile methodologies and so forth. You have to have a conversation and adapt those practices to the needs of the specific organization and specifically what they're trying to do. That's what you're saying. Yep. Yep. Okay. You need to use Agile when applying Agile, if you prefer <laughs> right. that. Do Agile and, 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 and Agile. And we've, all agile seen, and we've all seen what happens when you don't. Right. right? It fails. Uh, spectacularly, usually. So, yeah. Okay, again. So you've talked, you've mentioned this these terms, inspection, adaptation. You haven't said empiricism, but I know that's lurking back there as well, okay? <laughs> um, how... How do leaders, how should they be using empiricism, inspection, adaptation, feed, feedback loops to achieve business agility? Not just their teams, but how do the leaders do that? What what should they be doing? Yeah. So maybe it's worthwhile kind of building the, the history and the context around this. Um, so we've learned over the years that much of the work that we we have in our organizations, whether it's in the teams, um, whether it's other levels, is rife with uncertainty, volatility, ambiguity. Our plans don't survive contact with reality. Agile came up as a solution for that, whether you call it, uh, whether you Scrum, Agile, DevOps, Lean Startup, just, you know, break things into smaller batches. These days, a lot of people say they don't use Agile, but you look at how they work, they don't use waterfall either. They, you know, iterate and uh, leverage empiricism. This is an established de facto way of building products. There's little argument that this is the right way to build products these days. But then organizations and leaders are realizing that the same challenges are relevant for other aspects uh, of work. Uh, For example, marketing. Agile marketing came to be based on the realization that, you know, impactful marketing is also something that's complex to, to create. We don't necessarily know what messaging would, would work. We, you know, we want to be able to inspect and adapt there as well. Business agility takes it one level further. It's basically saying, okay, beyond creating the product, beyond um, creating marketing approach, a lot of other decisions that we're making as leaders are made in an environment of uncertainty and complexity as well. Um, call it the hard thing about the hard things, whatever. Uh, whether it's the business model, organizational design. You raised a couple of examples, you know, just on this podcast of questions where we, we don't know for sure what's the right answer. Business agility would be to understand that there's a transformation, a change, building some capability as an organization that we don't know for sure what's the right approach towards. And it starts with honesty and humility that we know where we want to go. We have a lot of uh, conviction around it, but we also want to acknowledge uh, the risk that there is um, in, you know, uh, getting there. And taking an approach that is empirical in nature, um, that relies on taking a step, 
getting some transparency on whether we're in the right direction or not, and having the discipline and the operating system for the organization that inspects and adapts and adjusts, not expecting to have everything planned out up front, not expecting, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands dollars worth uh, report from, uh, you know, a top consulting firm that we could go and deploy. And if we deployed it, we will succeed, realizing that it's much more complex than that, that we should empower our people to be players and figure out some details that we should provide uh, vision, vision, direction, um, but create an environment where people can uh, figure it out, figure out a, a lot of stuff along the way. And we're, we're very uh, upfront and intentional about what are our assumptions. Um, Roger Martin talks about what would have to be true. Uh, very interesting uh, process around fig- not talking about what is true, talking about what would have to be true. What, what assumptions are we making and how would we go about validating these assumptions as we're implementing change? For me, that's leveraging empiricism and inspection and adaptation beyond the confines of uh, specific functions in the organization. But I want to talk about this a, a little more specifically in regards to leaders, okay? Because doing something where it requires that you admit that you don't have the answer, that you try something out and it fails and you it's okay that it failed because you learn from it and you adapt to it and all that sort of stuff. And you're making decisions not based on your experience or your gut feel or whatever, but often based on data and, and, and really inspecting what is really happening and all that sort of stuff. A lot of those things seem counter to what the traditional leader does, right? The traditional leader is confident. The, the, the traditional leader doesn't admit that they don't know. The traditional leader has the experience when everyone else is not sure what to do. They, you know, they rally the troops and tell them what to do and all that sort of stuff. I, do you see this as a as a, a a transition in leadership and something that that leaders find hard to do? It is a transition. It is something that leaders find hard to do. I don't think Agile is inventing anything here, though. To be honest, I mean, if you read uh, Jim Collins talking about the level five leadership you see a lot of the attributes that we're, um, that we're looking for here when it comes to what we're expecting from leaders. But it's definitely true that if you try to do this in an organization where the leaders don't exhibit these behaviors, don't you know internalize the, the culture and the values that... Um, that business agility and OKRs thrive on, you will see very shallow uh, results. You would not see much. There's an interesting interplay, though, where the practices of OKRs, the practices of Agile, actually both bring that to the surface, you know, bring uh, a lot of transparency to 
do we have the right sort of leadership or not, but also create conversations, create opportunities to, to, for, for leaders to reflect on this, for, um, for them to get coaching, get trained, um, get different language that helps them in this journey. Um, one of the interesting things about the scaling approaches to Agile specifically is that they create, and, and, and it's very true for OKRs as well, that typically starts from the top, is that it creates this FaceTime. It creates a lot of great conversations um, if you tap into the opportunity to have them around what it takes to to really uh, lead this sort of organization. You can also, you know, just ignore that and do the mechanical, say, for Agile, and you won't get that value. But I've seen situations where talking about OKRs, helping implement OKRs well, or agility at scale created great insights and great transformation for the leaders, both in charge of marketing as well as uh, leading companies um, in the broader sense. Just to recap something you said, I think you said that having that agile mindset and that agile culture is important to get the most out of the the impact of OKRs and 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 the whole thing about trying to focus on a few um, a few things that are going to make a difference, right? The things that we talked about early in the, earlier in this podcast that you, you, you need to have that mindset and that culture or else you're going to get a very shallow uh, response or, or uh, execution of the OKRs. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I would put it this way. In order for you to maximize the benefits of OKRs, you need to have an OKR-friendly mindset at the leadership level, a mindset of empowering, uh, alignment, uh, empiricism, but also using OKRs well will help you create that mindset. It's not that you need to get to the point of you are the enlightened leadership team, the enlightened company, and then you can use OKRs. The more more common scenario is you're a company that has potential there. You can use OKRs to level up your game. But only if you use OKRs well. Only if you understand that OKRs is more than just saying, uh, an objective as measured by a key result. If all you do is say that, if all you do is call some people Scrum Masters and product owners and create some backlogs and have daily scrums, you're not going to change your organization. It's going to feel easier to do because, you know, you're just renaming things, but it's also not going to be that impactful. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it's just like everything we've talked about with Agile in in that it's, it it works best when you iterate your way to improvement, that it's a, 
it's a virtual cycle. You get a virtual cycle going that, you know, the, the management is, you know, uh, somewhat open to this, these ideas and so forth. And then they establish OKRs and that makes them more open and more uh, agile in their mindset. And it, and it becomes a, um, a feedback loop that results in good things happening. Yeah. They need to be invested in this bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And not Let's just in topics. the sense of, you know, paying for somebody else to, do work on this. They need to be invested in this themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's change topics a moment. Um, one of the promises of Agile is that it will help teams adapt to change quickly. You know, if another pandemic <laughs> comes about, God forbid, or, uh, you know, a, an economic downturn or comp- new competitor enters the market or whatever. Um, do you think that this promise gets realized and, and, Agile really does help teams adapt to change quickly. And if so, tell me a little bit about how. Yeah, we're both consultants, Jim, right? So you know how yeah. I'm, I'm going to answer this one. It, it really depends. It, you know, I see many teams that are able to adapt to change very quickly. The, the team that I mentioned earlier with the orthopedics network, the way they changed direction during, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic from what they were planning to do to what they had to pivot to doing was beautiful in, you know, the horrible things that happened that year, seeing that change was uh, beautiful. Um, But I also see a lot of teams where it's just that theater and they don't get any better at change um, compared to what they were doing uh, before. Uh, We we kind of talked through it, Uh, call it cargo cult, agile, theater, um, you know, it's very, very common out there. There are uh, a lot of teams that are just uh, applying the mechanics. What I think, what I see uh, going on is that agile is suffering from rapid uh, growth in its popularity. Uh, it's become the de facto way of doing things. And what that brought with it is more people doing it than there are people that really know how to do it. Uh, Jerry Weinberg called it the law of the strawberry jam. We're spreading a fixed amount of jam, knowledge about how to do agile, way, way too thinly to be tasty. So, you know, it's going to take time until we catch up. I think what's you know, what's happening meanwhile is there's a lot of, uh, of frustration with Agile, whether it's the specific approaches or Agile in general, or, um, you know, the organizations that are revolting against Agile uh, for the wrong reasons. Um, my solution for this in the organizations that I work with is to use Agile in adopting Agile, as I mentioned learn along the way, do it at the pace that makes sense in the organization, be very thoughtful about, you know, who you partner with. I'd rather not partner at all um, than partnering with people that just bring a mechanical uh, understanding into the organization. And I'd rather slow down the pace than, you know, uh, spread it, spread the knowledge and the expertise uh, too thin. Um, And, 
you know, it might not be as profitable as bringing in an army of agile coaches and scrum masters into organizations. Uh, but I've seen much better results um, when you take that approach. Yeah, absolutely. So one more topic, which is dear to my heart, is, as you all know, is the attempts by marketers to adopt Agile to their needs. What, what do you think is different in how marketers, either they use Agile or how they adopt Agile? I mean, what's, what's different for marketers compared to software developers or IT there are a couple of things that I see. One is, uh, you know, on the Kanban compared to Scrum front, I see marketers gravitating much more towards Kanban. Um, some of that is, you know, the different way marketing work flows. Some of it is their uh, distaste for the discipline uh, of Scrum or just that Scrum is harder. Right, it points out more full, you know, more gaps between the organization that you currently are and the organization that you uh, you should be. So, so that's an interesting uh, dynamic. I would say in general, there's much less interest and patience for process and the formality around it. And I also see that a lot of the agile products out there, whether it's you know, um, formal training, safe, whatever they, and even, you know, a lot of individuals with a lot of it uh, experience in the product or software environment falls full, all of these fall flat on uh, marketing audience. Uh, they require some adaptations in order to resonate different stories, different language. The product language specifically is very confusing in the marketing world. Um, and, you know, we could spend an entire podcast just talking about, you know, um, what what does product mean in the context of uh, agile uh, marketing? I think getting through these um, language barriers and knowledge and experience barriers is what we need to uh, figure out. I'm... I think the pace of agile marketing is currently throttled by the amount of uh, experience and expertise that people like you in the marketing world are uh, providing to the community. Um, I think there's also a risk in this discontinuity between the expert we do have in the more broader in the broader agile community um, and the experience in the agile marketing world um, agile marketers do have much more experience in marketing but they have um, shallower experience in agile and I, I think there's there's a path um, moving forward we need to figure out the path in which, we can join forces uh, where people coming from the broader uh, agile world uh, partner, continue to partner uh, with marketers on 
which lessons learned in the broader Etro community we should make sure we uh, we listen to um, as we continue to develop agile uh, marketing um, and yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to find somebody who is very deep in, in agile and also has years of marketing experience so that they know the language and can tell the stories and understand the concerns and so forth. I mean, it's part of the reason why you and I paired up at times yep. to, to teach a class because you mm-hmm. had that deep knowledge of, of agile and I had 35 years of marketing experience, you know, and, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, more of that needs to happen. I certainly learned a lot from you and, and perhaps you learned a little bit from me in, in, uh, in our times together. Well, um, I think it's time for us to kind of finish this up. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Any last minute uh, words of wisdom from you? Yeah, I think the, you know, one thought just to, to complete that, that thread is the challenge is going to become even harder. Because like we discussed earlier, it's not about agile software development or necessarily just agile marketing. It's about business agility. And that would require expertise in the business world as well as in agile that even fewer people uh, possess. Um, Trying to get companies and CEOs um, and COOs and chiefs of staff to listen you know, to the, the expertise in the in the agile world, um, that's hard. I think, by the way, OKRs are one of the the beneficial tools in that um, in that world because there's an established, you know, OKRs are an established framework for helping organizations align and execute effectively. Um, there's an understanding that businesses need them. That's one of the things that uh, we should be grateful to John Doerr and Intel and Google for establishing that as the operating system for startups, scales-ups, and, and now enterprises. And I, I'm i seeing that as a vehicle for uh bringing all of the learning um, in the in the agile world and applying it in the business sense. Yeah, I um, think that's right. OKRs are part of the language today of senior executives and we have to talk their language. And so if we can talk their language and also slip in there a few agile concepts and a few and, you know, help them... Um, uh, apply OKRs in a more effective way using some of the practices of, of Agile, then, uh, then then we can start to make business agility a, a reality and, and not just a dream. Well, thank you, Yuval, for sharing your wisdom with us. I thought it was a fascinating uh, conversation. So thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you, Jim. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Check out the show notes for this episode at agilemarketingblog.com.